Good morning from the racing capital of the world, Speedway, Indiana. My name is Nick Sturgeon, your host, and thank you for listening to episode 46 of the Cyber.Now podcast, the number one spot for learning about tech, cybersecurity, politics, and policy. I know it's been a couple weeks since the last show. I have been traveling for work and had to take a much-needed vacation break and went to the Bahamas on a Disney cruise. It was fantastic super relaxing so there really wasn't much time to do any type of show prep or time to record so i appreciate you all bearing with me while i took that two-week break this week so kind of on the agenda i am hoping to record at least enough content for a couple shows at the 2019 serious security symposium the 20th annual That's coming up on this Tuesday and Wednesday up in West Lafayette. I also want to thank our show sponsor, Delta Research. I cannot thank them enough for their support. And I also want to thank all of you guys and gals who are listening to this episode right now for taking time out of your day. As I mentioned, time is the one resource that we do not get back and are not guaranteed. I really really appreciate you spending that valuable resource on this podcast. For those of you who are first-time listeners, thank you for tuning in. It is my goal to keep you coming back week in and week out. If you are a returning listener, your continued support is so very much appreciated. If you find the show's content valuable, I ask only a couple of small things of you outside of listening share the show with your network subscribe rate and review well over the last couple of weeks there really hasn't been a lot of cybersecurity news that has really piqued my interest so it's made kind of getting ready for this week's show a little bit more difficult but fear not i was able to come across one story that did get me thinking I actually found two different articles about this same story, and it has to do with criminal groups using Facebook to conduct their quote-unquote business. Both the articles talk about some research that was done by Cisco's Talos Security Group. I'm not going to read both articles, but we'll include links to both stories in the show notes. But for today's conversation, I'm really going to be referencing more from an article I found on Wired.com. Now, according to this article and that second one that I mentioned, this Talos security group was able to collect information or intelligence about 74 different criminal groups that were conducting illegal operations ranging from selling stolen credit card information to selling hacking tools and, quote, other cyber crime commodities. And also in this article, some of the Facebook group names include spam professionals and spammer and hacker professional. And again, according to their research, these groups had attracted about 385,000 members. And it isn't the first time security researchers have found similar groups. So this begs the question, what is Facebook's responsibility in policing all of these 
type of groups. We all know Facebook has policies that they have put in place about particular types of content and speech and all of this other things. I know personally multiple people, including Chris Spangle of We Are Libertarians, that have been put in Facebook jail for supposedly violating one of Facebook's many policies. Since Facebook has these policies in place, should they be forced to enforce what they said they would enforce? Should they be held liable for allowing criminal groups like this spam professionals or spammer or hacker professional or uh, other groups that are operating illegally or what they are doing is illegal, I should say, on the Facebook platform. Now, if the U.S. government is going to go after sites like Silk Road and charge and arrest the owner and operators of that site, shouldn't the U.S. government go after Zuckerberg in the same way? Now, I'm going to step in and read a little bit directly from the article here. I'm going to skip around. There's a couple of things that I, I want to talk about. And so I'm not going to read the article verbatim, but I think it helps with this story about the things that I, I want to talk about. So to start off, it says Facebook's failure to moderate bad behavior on the sprawling online world it created, what with political trolls, extremist content, and live streamed acts of horrific violence, has reached a torrent of criticism but researchers have found that social media or the social media giant is also failing to police a far more basic and decades old internet problem among its users plain old cybercrime researchers at cisco's talos security division on friday revealed that they'd uncovered 74 facebook groups devoted to the sale of stolen credit card data identity info spam list hacking tools and other cybercrime commodities these research or, or these researchers say those groups sat in plain sight with names like spam professionals spammer and hacker professionals attracting 385,000 members in all anyone could find them with a site search for basic terms like carding or CVVs, a reference to the security codes on bank on the back of credit cards. Quote, effectively, what we found was a huge number of Facebook groups openly trading crime stuff online, end quote. Says Craig Williams, Cisco Talos Director of Outreach. Quote, the user base in these groups is basically the size of Tampa. Screenshots that Cisco published in a blog post summarizing its findings capture Facebook users publishing pictures of a purportedly stolen credit card and IDs offering a list of CVVs priced at $5 each, as well as a collection of thousands of emails ripe for spamming and phishing, the type of data usually sold on the dark web markets or password-protected invite-only hacker forums. Okay, so I'm going to skip here through. So that outlines kind of what's being done. And as I mentioned, we know Facebook is in the past... And especially it was really out there as far as being publicized about certain political groups being blocked and pages being shut down for quote-unquote violations of Facebook policy. Though according to this article, 
that Facebook has removed the group Cisco identified, but it was only after the fact that Facebook was notified about these groups. So why hasn't Facebook shut these pages down now? Is it the lack of number of technology resources? Is it the lack of people being able to go through and do these basic searches? We know, and as this article does point out, Facebook has some pretty sophisticated algorithms to shut down and at least identify certain types of content that violates their policy. And the example here was a white national uh, supremacy type of group. So why are these particular groups allowed to continue to operate so openly? It's not even that they're trying to obfuscate who they are with the changing the name or coming up with something else and then in the closed Facebook group operating and asking and selling this type of stuff. No, I mean, that's openly saying, hey, this is who we are. This is what we're doing. So jumping back into the article, but for Facebook's critics, the cybercrime markets infesting the site are only the latest example of the company's negligence when it comes to moderating and policing its billions of users. Dipian Gosh, a former Facebook staffer who now works with the Harvard Shorenstein Center Platform Accountability Project, sees it as another sign that Facebook can't be left to regulate itself. Now, I have talked about this in the past. So for those of you who are returning listeners, know my stance on this. And for those of you who are new to the show, I suggest going back and listening to the previous episodes because I usually do not talk in a vacuum. There's a lot of stuff that we reference from previous shows. So strongly recommend going and listening to those past episodes. So again, in the article, more specifically, Gosh says that it's time to make changes to Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act which protects social media sites like Facebook from liability for the content their users share. Quote, I do think the time has come to rethink 230, to make changes to it that better protects us with respect to our safety and our security, including the protection of our identities. Quote, he says. Facebook does have the ability to proactively weed out behavior it finds unsuitable on its platform. It recently, for instance, instituted a ban against white nationalist content. It also has made clear its intentions to eventually shift its platform to prioritize private encrypted interactions, which would potentially allow cybercrime groups to operate under its auspices without fear of detection. But Cisco Talos researcher Craig Williams argues that for now, the only fix is for Facebook to tighten its moderation and for users and outside auditors to hold it accountable. Quote, this requires a collective effort from Facebook, from users, and potentially from security companies like us to keep these actors off social media sites. End quote. He says, quote, it's going to require constant vigilance. End quote. Now, at the end part of that article, they mentioned Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, which states that no provider or user of an 
interactive computer service shall be treated as the publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider. And just as a side note, an in-depth overview of the law can be found in the link, uh, or the link can be found in the show notes. But in short, Facebook, Twitter, and other social media providers cannot be sued or held liable for what you or I say on their platforms. This is different than a newspaper who can be held liable for what they say because they, the sites or the newspapers, are not passive providers. They're active in providing content. So there's certain things like the newspapers have to be care of or take care in when they are posting content. Unlike Facebook, again, which are passive, meaning that they just provide the platform. In this particular situation, is Section 230 of CDA the best avenue to go after Facebook or other sites when it or as it relates to these criminal groups operating on their sites? First, the CDA law is meant to protect groups and individuals from a provider that edits content that is defamatory or discriminatory. Second, one of the exceptions to the liability protections of this law is if this site creates or develops illegal activity. Now, I do not think for one minute that Facebook is creating or developing this themselves or, that, or somebody within their company is doing this. So I just want to make sure that that is perfectly clear. I also do not think the lack of action on Facebook's part or in this case, as we relate to the article, constitute support of these groups. However, since Facebook has a policy in place and has chosen to enforce these policies on others in the past, and they have the ability and they have the technology and they have staff dedicated to policy enforcement, that kind of puts them in a little bit of a, a tricky situation. Now, would a lack of active action on Facebook's part to take these groups down be considered negligence and thus waive immunity under CDA. I think a case can be made. Again, they have the policies, standards that they have set for themselves and for us to use on the platform. They have chosen and enforced those policies on others in the past. They have the technology to assist them in bringing those groups to light or that content in to light. And in my opinion, Facebook would not be in a strong legal position should somebody want to challenge them on that. Now, as a disclaimer, I am not a lawyer. I don't even claim to play one on TV. Again, I think if someone was to go after Facebook using this law, it wouldn't not be under the active content provider provision of the law. I don't think you can make a strong claim that they are actively contributing content like these groups are. But I think since they have promised to remove such content, have removed that type of content or content in the past, and they have failed to remove this content, that it does not put Facebook in the best of light. 
Now, the question is, are they negligent? So what does it mean to be negligent under the law? According to Cornell Law School's webpage on negligence, the definition of that is a failure to behave with the level of care that someone of ordinary prudence would have exercised under the same circumstances. The behavior usually consists of actions, but it also consists of omissions when there is some duty to act. Example, a duty to help victims of one's previous conduct. So, given that definition, is Facebook negligent in their lack of taking action of removing these groups who are conducting legal activity? Again, in my opinion, I think a case can be made. But digging into this a little bit further, there, again, according to the Cornell Law School webpage, there are four elements needed to establish a prima facie case of negligence. One, the existence of a legal duty that the defendant owed to the plaintiff. Two, defendant's breach of that duty. Plaintiff's sufferance of an injury. Four, proof that defendant's breach caused the injury, typically defined through proximate clause. Again, according to Cornell, when determining how whether the defendant has breached a duty, courts will usually use the hand formula created by Judge Learned Hand in United States versus Carol Towing. If B greater or less than PL, then there will be negligent liability for party with the burden of taking precautions. B equals burden of taking precautions. P equals probability of loss. L looks or equals gravity of loss, gravity of the personal loss, not social loss. If the burden of taking such precautions is less than the probability of injury multiplied by the gravity of any resulting injury, then the party with the burden of taking precautions will have some amount of liability. Now, what does all that legal mumbo jumbo actually mean? Now, again, applying the four elements, is there an existence of a legal duty that Facebook owed somebody, a plaintiff, should they get sued for this? Possibly. I think there is a legal duty there because Facebook says we aren't going to allow this type of content on our page. Obviously, we've seen by this research that there is a breach of that duty. Now, this is where it gets a little bit difficult, a little bit interesting. Is there a sufferance of injury to the plaintiff, to you or I or whomever, by Facebook allowing these groups to continue to operate, there can be financial impacts as the result of identity theft. That's been established. There are laws against that. And that is definitely a real possibility by the selling of this information, credit cards, social security numbers or whatever else may have been up for sale, especially in the hacking tools. A lot of those tools can be used to destroy information, steal information, just as the same as it would be illegal for them to sell guns in the black market type of situation. So moving back to, does Facebook have a duty to act? Going 
back to Cornell Law School's website. It says, typically, if the defendant had a duty to act, did not act, resulting in a breach, and that breach caused an injury, then the defendant's action would be classified as misfeasance. There are several ways to determine whether the defendant had a duty to act. Note, this is not an exclusive list. There's four, four things here that they mention. First, the defendant engaged in the creation of the risk which resulted in the plaintiff's harm. I think they, in this case, Facebook, yeah, they created the website and allowed these people to continue to operate. Two, voluntary undertaking. The defendants volunteered to protect the plaintiff from harm. Does the policy state that they, you know, Facebook would protect their user base by searching this stuff out and making sure it doesn't happen? I had have to do a little bit more digging on that um, to say, yeah, they voluntarily undertook the protection of the user base. But I think just from the surface, eh, very possibly. Three, knowledge. The defendant knows, should know that the conduct will cause harm to the plaintiff. Uh, possibly there too. I, any security professional surely knows that the selling of this information can cause other people harm and thus could possibly mean that Facebook as a company would have that knowledge as well. And then for a business slash voluntary, voluntary relationship, Example, business owner and customer, innkeeper and guest, land possessor who opens her land to the public, person who voluntarily takes custody of another person. There is a business relationship there between the users and Facebook. So, I mean, again, according to me and my very limited understanding of the law, and I do know a, a bit about criminal law, uh, having been a, a former law enforcement officer. But again, disclaimer, I am not a lawyer. This is just my own personal understanding of this, and I'm not, do not take any legal advice from me. This is just my opinions. Just make sure I make that disclaimer a hundred times if I can, or more. But if you are asking me, the fact that Facebook has these policies in place, that they have taken action against people and putting them in Facebook jail for 30, 60, 90 days, or completely banning people who have violated their policies in the past, I would take that as a standard that they do have a due diligence to continue to enforce these policies on their platform and that a potential failure to act would mean that they could be negligent by not acting and by not having a constant and continual effort to weed out these groups and make sure that they do not operate. Now, a legal duty is completely different than a social responsibility. We can argue all day long about whether or not Facebook has a social responsibility to do this. But as far as a legal responsibility, once they have taken action to enforce their policies, it is my opinion that they have a responsibility to continue 
to enforce those policies. Now, we can argue whether or not it's discriminatory to go after one political group or ideology and not another. They're a private site. They can choose what type of content that they want on that site. But once they decide to enforce, I think they need to be consistent in how they enforce those rules. And if they know illegal activity is happening on that site, they have a legal responsibility, in my opinion, to make sure that illegal activity does not happen. Failure to act is a problem, especially when they have the means and ability to make sure that that is detected, identified, and then removed. Because what happens when your credit card information or your identity is sold utilizing Facebook's platform and they do nothing about it, which I think is the real issue here. It's not so much whether or not they're regulating themselves or whether the government should be regulating. It is what harm are they allowing to happen by their inaction. It is one thing when you don't know something is happening from a legal standpoint, but to know that it's happening and not taking action to correct it, stop it, it's a whole nother ball of wax, especially in the legal realm. Now, I mentioned Silk Road a little bit ago, and that was an online black market site and really one of the most well-known sites that was taken down by the federal government. Um, and the website proprietor was arrested. His name was Ross Yulbricht, also known as Dread Pirate Roberts, uh, that sold a bunch of really nefarious type of st stuff. Drugs, just a whole bunch of bad stuff. Now, not to say that I'm making a, a straight comparison or any type of comparison between Silk Road and Facebook. But with that said, if the government is going to go after sites that are set up directly to sell illegal things, what is their responsibility in going after companies like Facebook where illegal goods and services are being sold on their platforms? One can make the comparison or analogy of a business owner or gas station, for instance, where let's say two people come on the property, have a drug exchange, they go out, or the, those who the person sold versus the person who bought the illegal drugs, they go their separate ways. Is the business owner liable for that transaction? Are they legally complicit in allowing that transaction to happen? Eh, possibly, possibly not. But if the owner of the property of the gas station doesn't know what's happening, yeah, I, I mean, they're probably not going to be criminally liable for that transaction. And maybe they are taking steps. There's a security guard. They've got cameras to help ward that stuff off. But even in the implementation of those types of controls or types of deterrence from criminal activity happening, and it still happens, 
what is the legal limit or of them being negligent in that illegal activity continuing to happen? I don't know. Again, that's for the, the lawyers to figure out. But just want to try to help you guys kind of figure out and, and think about this in terms of you know, cyberspace versus the regular world. To close this up, I am not advocating that Facebook should be held criminally negligent for this happening. Now, if something came out where somebody on Facebook staff knew about it and continued to allow it to happen, made the site or propped the site up for this stuff to happen or anything that shows that there was some active type of participation, that's a whole different story. Just as a property owner may not be able to ward off all bad things that happen, using, again, that gas station analogy, even with all the different controls and all of the deterrence they put in place, you do have to take into account the due diligence of what they are trying to do. Now, if they are making active efforts and they are doing everything that is reasonably possible to ward this stuff off, then the negligence case is very, very hard to make. But the whole purpose of me going down the path that I went is to get you guys thinking, to pull that thread of thinking and hopefully get you all thinking in a different context, really think that whole thing through. Because I will tell you what, just like the one guy mentioned from the Wired article about Facebook not being able to regulate itself, the politicians will use things like that to say, look, they're not regulating themselves, so we have to come in and do it for them. Is that really what we want? If Facebook is complicit in this illegal activity and somebody is actually harmed, whoever that plaintiff or ever the harmed party is, should have every right to go after Facebook and sue them and said, you have caused me damages because of your failure to act. But that is something an individual person or even the people, if it's a class action type of situation, should go after. But this doesn't mean we need more regulation. This doesn't mean we need the federal government to come in and change laws, create new laws, because Facebook was negligent. There are already recourse methods in place in case a company does damage to or causes harm to another person or another company. We don't need no more stinking regulation. Okay, guys, that's it for this week's show. Thank you all for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed it and got something out of it. Once again, thanks to our show sponsor, Delta Research, for supporting us. Again, if you want to join in on the conversation, go to the show's webpage at cyber.now.com. Hit us up on Facebook and Twitter. If you want to get a hold of me directly, you can find me on Twitter at the underscore Polititech or email me at nick at thepolititech.com. Finally, if you think this show is worthy, go to iTunes, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcasting platform to subscribe, rate, review, And do not forget to share the show. If you guys do all of that, I will be back again next week to do this thing once again. Until then, have a great week. We'll talk to you soon.